Good morning. It's good for us to be together, to gather online as we we share in song, as we share in prayer, uh, as we just gathered around the Lord's table together. Uh, We we are focusing this morning on the last week of Jesus's life, and, and this is bringing us closer and closer to the end of this series on the Gospel of Luke that we've actually been in since December. Uh, looking carefully at Jesus's life and ministry and how it turns everything about our world upside down in the best possible ways. Uh, And this morning, we're going to be focusing on a a time of prayer that Jesus enters into right after that Last Supper. And it's going to teach us a lot about what prayer is is really supposed to do in our lives, the, the transformation it's supposed to bring about as we commune with our Heavenly Father. And so let's start uh, this time with a prayer together now. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your son. Uh, We thank you so much for this story uh, that we are caught up in that started 2,000 years ago and is still unfolding now. Uh, We pray that you would help us to listen with our hearts, we listen with our souls, and to be changed by what we hear. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. You know, prayer is one of those things that you do, and you just never know exactly what's going to happen. When my daughter, Riley, was just five years old, uh, we often would spend time together at the end of the day, catching up. Uh, When I was getting ready to tuck her into bed, we would sing songs together. We would read uh, one of her favorite books uh, we, we really enjoyed that time. And one of the things we always did was we said a prayer together. Sometimes that meant that we sang a prayer together. Sometimes it meant that I said a prayer over her. Other times it meant she said a prayer over me. And then there were nights where she would ask me to say a prayer phrase by phrase, and she would repeat after me all of all the words that I said. And so on this particular night, that's what she wanted to do. And so I started to say the prayer, and she started to repeat after me. And I got to the end of that prayer, and I I closed it by saying, And God, thank you for always listening to us. In your son's name, we pray, amen. And and so Riley said those words right after me. Um, We we hugged. I I put her into her bed. I, I pulled up those covers up to her chin. I kissed her on the cheek. And right when I was getting ready to walk out of the room, I had just turned off the light. She sat right back up. And she had a question. I could tell there was something she wanted to talk about. And here was her her question. She said, Daddy, how do we know that God always listens to us when we pray? Uh, How do we know for sure that he's listening? Uh, And and I stopped in my tracks at that question because it it was obviously a really important question as as a a praying father, as as a father with faith, talking Uh, to his five-year-old daughter, I knew I needed to get my response right. I I knew that I needed to say something that would make sense to her, that would help her understand what it is she was really wondering about and and if there were any clear answers to that. And so I just simply said, look, well, we, we know that God is listening to us because we believe that God loves us. And and we listen to people we love, right? And she said, yeah, yeah, we do. We, we listen to people we love. So let me try it again, Daddy. Let me try it again. So she just all of a sudden called out to God. God, God, 
mean, it was like she was, was looking to find him somewhere in the room in the way that she was talking. And she immediately said, Daddy, I don't, I don't think God's listening because I don't hear him talking back. And when, when you don't talk back to mommy, when she's talking to you, she says you're not listening. So how, how could God be listening if he's not talking back? And, and I was really tempted in that moment to defend my listening skills in our home. But I decided that that was a conversation for another time. And I needed to stay focused on exactly what Riley was actually wrestling with. And I said, well, honey, God doesn't talk back that way. When we pray to God, it's not that we can expect that he's going to immediately and verbally talk out loud to us. We, we have to trust. We have to have a sense that the love we feel in our hearts when we're talking to God is God's way of responding to us. It's how we know God's with us and listening to us. We feel him. We feel his presence uh, inside of our, our hearts. And when I said that, she immediately Five years old, she puts her hand on her own heart. And she left it there for maybe a second and a half. And she said, I don't, I don't feel God's love in my heart right now. I don't feel anything. And, and I, I didn't quite know how to respond to that, but she reached up to touch my chest. I was sitting on the edge of the bed at this point. She reached up to touch my chest. And she said, do you feel God's love in your heart, Daddy? And I said, I do. I feel God's presence in my heart. And she left her hand there for for just a handful of seconds. And suddenly she gasped and she said, I I feel something. I I feel God in your heart, Daddy. I feel him. He's here. He, He loves us. He's listening. And I took that as my cue to get out of that room as quickly as I could because I thought, okay, I don't know if I can handle a deeper, more challenging theological question just before bed. Um, and so I, I kissed her on the cheek again, and, and we left that evening in that moment on that high note. But I got to tell you, when I walked out of the room and I was standing in the hallway just outside of her door, I, I knew I knew the truth was it wasn't, it's not just difficult for us to try to explain the mystery of prayer to someone who's five years old and has a bunch of questions. I, I know all these years later, I remember the moment in that hallway where I realized it's, it's not just hard for me to explain this to my daughter. It's really challenging for me to explain the mystery and the power of prayer to myself. I mean, I have my own nagging questions about prayer. What is it? What's it for? Who is it for? I mean, I, I have these times where I'm wrestling with what What does it mean for us to think, to believe, to be convinced that God is listening to us? Because there are many times I can look back in my own spiritual life in times of prayer and worship, and I absolutely felt the presence of God, the love of God filling my heart to a point of overflowing. But then there are other times that I have tried to pray. I have tried to worship. I have tried to draw close to to God's heart, and I find that as I'm, I'm praying, as I'm speaking, or as I'm singing, that the words that are, that are coming out of me, they don't feel like they're getting any farther than the ceiling of the room I happen to be in in that moment. I've had times in my life where I have prayed uh, with, with as much passion and conviction as I know how to pray for someone in my life who I love who's fighting against some, some horrible disease or some tragic situation that they find themselves in. And I ask God to save them, to deliver them, to heal them. 
And he answers my prayer in a, in a miraculous, instantaneous way where, where everything I asked for God to do, it seems like it unfolds exactly the way I asked. But I have other memories that I carry in my heart, memories that in many ways break my heart, where I have asked with just as much conviction and just as much passion for God to intervene, to do something, to save somebody, to rescue them. And they stay sick. They... They have to go through that difficult, tragic situation that I I asked for God to, to remove them from. We all have those kinds of extremes in our prayer lives. We we all know the truth that prayer is just one of those things you do as a person of faith, not ever knowing exactly what to expect. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it? I mean, it makes me wonder whether or not prayer is supposed to be predictable in the first place. It makes me wonder if, if maybe prayer is about something else altogether. Throughout the story that Luke tells us about Jesus' life and ministry, this sweeping story that we have as a church, we've been focused on since December, we find that Luke wants us to understand the role that prayer plays in Jesus' life and ministry. And in many ways, prayer throughout the story of Luke, is Christ's constant companion. In Luke chapter 3, when Jesus is being baptized, Luke includes this, this detail that in the moment of his baptism, Jesus decides to pray. And as he's praying, the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, comes down and lands on his shoulder. In Luke chapter 5, when Jesus is caught up in this amazing, world-changing Right, Turn the world upside down ministry of healing and teaching. It, it starts uh, from sun up to sundown, And as exhausting as that had to be, Luke tells us that often Jesus would go off to lonely places to pray. In Luke chapter 6, after Jesus stands up to the Pharisees, this controversy that they're having where Jesus does things on the Sabbath. Jesus does good things on the day, traditionally, when you're not supposed to do anything. Jesus prays after that encounter, and in fact, he spends the entire night praying, and the next morning, he chooses, he recruits his 12 closest followers, the the 12 apostles. In Luke 9, when Jesus is wrestling with his own reputation of who he's going to be when it comes to all the people who are following him, the crowds, who they want him to be, and he's trying to hold on to his sense of of his identity in, in God, and not in what other people want him to do and be, Luke says that he prays. And later on in the same chapter, we find that Jesus is praying again when he's transfigured on the top of a mountain in front of Peter, James, and John. In Luke 11, we find Jesus praying again, seeking God's presence, God's guidance, over and over and over again. Luke wants us to see that Jesus' life is sustained through dedicated times of prayer. What's incredibly interesting to me is that in none of these examples, and Luke has several examples of telling us that Jesus is praying, in none of these examples does Luke tell us what Jesus is saying when he's praying. He tells us the details of what leads to that moment. He tells us what happens after that moment. But he doesn't tell us the content of Jesus' words. But the story we're going to read together this morning is an exception Luke does tell us exactly what Jesus is saying as he prays. And it's, it's a prayer that comes at one of the most difficult moments in Jesus' life. 
He's already gone through the triumphal entry. He's had all kinds of moments of conflict and difficulty throughout this last week. And now he's just celebrated the Last Supper with his closest friends, one of whom he knows is going to betray him. And yet he doesn't know how he has the the, the strength, how he's going to have the courage to get through what comes next. And so he turns to his Heavenly Father and he opens up his heart And he speaks the truth of what he's going through. And that's where we're going to read together this morning. So turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39. It says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, If you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Now, while Jesus is saying these disappointed, frustrated words to his his friends and his followers, Judas, the one who would betray him, shows up with a bunch of soldiers and they arrest Jesus and take him away. And and almost all of Jesus' closest friends and followers, they fall away in that moment because they're too afraid. They don't know what's going to happen next. And and all they're really sure is they don't want to be around for it. If it's going to cause them to have to go through pain, if it's going to cause them to have to go through difficulties, they don't feel like they have what it takes to stand next to Jesus through all this. And, And even Peter who really wants to find a way to be there for Christ. He kind of stays at a distance. Um, He doesn't want to get pulled into it. And and even at that distance, it's not entirely safe. Somebody notices him uh, throughout the the arrest and and the trials that Jesus is going to have to go through. Someone notices that he's there and, and they engage Peter and say, don't you know him? Aren't you one of his followers? And Peter denies even knowing who Jesus is. And then those two trials, one before Herod, one before Pilate, and in the midst of all this, the soldiers are, are being cruel to Jesus. They're, they're beating him. They're mocking him. And in just a handful of verses later, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross. And while he's hanging on the cross, he says two more prayers, both of which Luke gives us the words for. He wants us again to overhear Jesus as he prays. The first prayer, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's praying, begging God to forgive the very people who are are taking his life away from him. And shortly after that, Luke tells us that Jesus prays his last prayer. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And it it just happens so fast and it it leads to such a heartbreaking destination It's hard to take in no matter how many times you've heard the story, no matter how many times you've read the story. It's so hard for us to get our hearts and our minds wrapped around how you could start out a week with this triumphal entry and end it in such a dark place of desperation and for Jesus' first followers, a place of dark despair. 
And at any point throughout all of this, I'm convinced Jesus has the authority, he has the ability to make it all stop. At any point, he could say, you know what, enough's enough. I'm not doing this. And brothers and sisters, I think the truth is, or at least I want to confess for myself, if I had that kind of authority, if I had that kind of power, and I was facing what Jesus was, was having to go through, I'm telling you, I would get to the place where I would justify, I, I, would, I would convince myself that everybody else can fend for themselves. What, why is it on him, by himself, to save the rest of us? And yet Jesus finds the, the courage, he finds the strength to keep his promise to be who God needs him to be, to do what God needs him to do to save everybody else. So where does Jesus find the power, the strength that he needs to keep his word, to keep his promise? Where does he find the strength he needs to to stick it out, to actually become that, that sacrifice that we all desperately need? Well, I'm convinced that Christ found the power to persevere through prayer. Specifically, through this prayer that we just got to overhear him say because of Luke. This prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that somehow gives Jesus the strength that he needs to be who he has promised to be to his heavenly Father. It's a short prayer. And I don't think Luke wants us to believe that it's, it's every word that Jesus spoke that night as he prayed. I don't think he only prayed for a handful of moments. I think he prayed for hours that night. But I do think the words that Luke includes for us here help us get a sense of all the other words that Jesus prayed on that evening. Father, if you're willing, if you're willing for this to go any other way, if you can take this cup of sorrow and pain and suffering away from me and still accomplish your purpose, if you can take this cup away from me and still save the world, please do it. Please, please, I beg you, take this cup away from me. But if you need me to do this, if, if this world that we love so much, if, if the world needs this to happen, then God, it, it's not my will that I want being accomplished. It's, it's your will that I want to see done. Prayer is, is one of those things that, that you do, not ever knowing exactly what to expect. It's true for us. And in this moment, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's true for Jesus, too. Prayer, it's a mystery. It's a mystery that we experience, but we never fully comprehend. It's it's this gift that we receive, but we never fully understand. Prayer is anything but predictable, and prayer doesn't make our lives predictable. Prayer, it seems to me, is like any authentic long-term relationship between two people. Sometimes it comes easy. Sometimes there's this this sense of nearness and presence that that is just there. And other times, 
You, you feel like you're, you're talking to yourself or you're talking to a wall or you're beating your head against the wall. You're not making any progress. You feel alone. You feel anxious. You feel scared. And, and as you're talking, you don't feel like you're, you're getting anywhere. And yet, through it all, we are called as, as God's people to keep praying, to keep opening our, ourselves, our lives up to God, to, to keep reaching out, trying to discover a better, deeper way to experience this soul-shaping presence of God that we need more than anything else. If we expect prayer to be something that it isn't, that's when I think in our spiritual lives things start to go wrong. You know, I think back to Riley at just five years old, still learning in so many ways just the basics of prayer and having this expectation that, look, if I'm talking to God, he should be talking back. That's how human conversations work. It's how this divine conversation should work. If we stay stuck in that place of having these expectations of God, that God will respond to us in ways that we we understand in ways that seem similar to us and all of our other encounters with, with people that we love and care about, we can get to the place where, where just like Riley was years ago, we, we can demand that God do what we want him to do and the way we want him to do it, that he, that he would speak immediately and verbally to us. And, and not only that he would speak to us, but that he would always bring about what we're praying for. And yet nowhere in Scripture do we have a sense that prayer works that way. Nowhere in Scripture do we have a sense that that God owes us anything when we speak to him, when we open our hearts up to him. And yet we're called time and again to that moment in our, our lives, to that experience in our lives. We're called to be people of prayer. So what does that mean? Well, I know one thing. Prayer is not our way of controlling the world. It's our way of inviting God into our world. Prayer is not supposed to be our way of politely demanding that God do exactly what we want. It's about telling God our greatest hopes and our deepest fears, being honest about that, and then entrusting all of that to our Heavenly Father, believing, convinced that He knows better than we do. Prayer is not only about us finding a way to get God to listen to us. It's also about us learning how to listen to a God who so often in our lives speaks to us without a sound in the deep silence of our souls. Prayer is not about control, brothers and sisters. It's about connection. It's about not only opening our hearts up to God, but learning over time how to be open to God's heart how to share God's heart, how to share God's love, how to, how to share God's peace and joy, how to share God's presence, how, how to be a part of God's purposes in this world. Prayer is about not only communicating our ideas to God, but having God share his ideas with us so that we can learn to think the way he thinks, so that we can see the possibilities that, that so often only he can see until he reveals them to us. And and ultimately, I think, to become people who are willing to make the same kinds of sacrifices that he would make, that he has made, that he will make to save this broken world of ours. 
Prayer is the best way I know of to share God's heart, to think the kinds of thoughts that God wants us to think. Conversations with our Heavenly Father have all kinds of other incredible side effects. It's true. But at its foundation, prayer is about opening ourselves up to a life-changing relationship with the one who gives us life in the first place. Jesus, as the best example we're ever going to get, knows this. He knows that prayer isn't about controlling how things turn out. It's about connecting to the heart of his, his heavenly Father who is in control. It's not about him demanding that God change things. It's about him asking for God to change things as long as it will still bring about what the world needs most. Jesus isn't asking in the garden to be rescued or else. Jesus is asking in the garden to be rescued or to be given strength from God to be faithful even if he isn't rescued. Jesus is openly admitting what he wants. But he's also asking for God to help him want what God wants. Jesus is just as willing for God to change him as to change his circumstances. Few of us have have ever had to face the the severity of the challenge that Jesus is having to face here in the Garden of Gethsemane. Few, Few of us have ever had to stand firm in the face of that kind of temptation to give up and to give in. But all of us know something about it, especially now, especially in this moment. Jesus, as he prays in the garden, is filled with anxiety about what's going to happen next. And he has a sense that whatever is going to happen next is going to be the hardest thing he's ever had to get through. Every, everywhere you turn right now, you and I, we are reminded of just how difficult our near future is might be. Just how difficult this this fight that we're waging against COVID-19, right, the coronavirus, we, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we know it's going to be difficult. We know it's going to be challenging, and we know that a lot of us are going to suffer. And so we know something of what Jesus is experiencing as he says this prayer. It's the same thing you and I have been experiencing as we've prayed these past three weeks. And like the disciples in the garden all those years ago, when Jesus comes to them and he says to them, you know, wake up, get, get up and, and pray because prayer is, is the only thing that can rescue you. Prayer is the only thing that can deliver you from temptation. And, you know, I, I wonder in, in this story, in this scene, in this moment, what temptation is Jesus talking about? What, what temptation does prayer deliver us from as Jesus' followers. And here's what I think. I think the temptation that Jesus is talking about, the temptation that he believes prayer can deliver us from, is the, the temptation to let our circumstances completely dictate our actions. It's the, the temptation to run when we get scared. No matter how it impacts anybody else, to, to run when things get uncertain. The temptation to give in to what we want instead of asking for God to give us the strength to be who he wants, to do what he wants for the sake of all the people around us. Instead of primarily using prayer as a way to get us out of self-sacrificial situations, we need to learn 
to also use prayer as a way for God to strengthen us for self-sacrificial situations. I want to say that one more time. Instead of primarily using prayer as a way to get us out of self-sacrificial situations, we need to learn to also use prayer as a way for God to strengthen us for self-sacrificial situations. What do you think might change in your prayer life if, if in one hand, you, you make sure that you're, you're telling God the truth about what you're thinking and feeling, the, the anxieties you have, the, the things that are making you feel like you, you just don't know if, if you're up to the task of what's going to happen next in the future? What if, what if you said all of that? You told all of that to God, and then you told God, what you want God to do in response to it, right? You tell the truth about what you want. But then in every prayer, you also shift from saying, this is what I want, God, to saying, but help me want what you want more. Help me want what you want more. And what God wants is for us to be Christ to be Christ to all the people that we're in relationship with, even if we're not actually in a room with them right now, to find a way to reach out, to to find a way to to live lives of self-sacrifice for the sake of other people. That's what God wants for us. And so when we ask God to rescue us, and we should ask for God to rescue us and to rescue all of the people that we love, all of the people in our world whom we know God loves, And we're still learning in many ways how to love the way God loves all the people in the world. We want to ask for God to bring rescue. We want to ask for God to take this cup away from us. And yet, we've got to find a way to say, this is what we want. Help us want what you want more. The way Jesus says it is, look, this is my will, God. But I... I don't really want just my will to be done. I want your will to be done in my life, in me, through me. That's what I want us to say when we pray. That's what I want us to believe when we pray. And like I told Riley when she was just five years old, God is always listening to us because God loves us and we listen to the people we love. Brothers and sisters, we've got to find a way to listen to God. To listen to what he's telling us in our souls and our hearts. Who he's asking us to be. Who he's asking us to serve. We've got to find a way to hear God's voice in the midst of all the other voices. And sometimes the voice we have to quiet the most is our own. We're going to sing together now. And as we do... I want to invite you to commit yourself this week to being honest with God about what you want, but to make sure that you're asking God to change what you want so that you can share God's heart. And I promise you, God will answer our prayers.